Hey guys, before we get started, just a couple of things. Okay, first, this episode is brought to you by Founders Maintenance and Restoration. So a little self-plug here. About 10 months ago, we started a maintenance and restoration company that was tailored for investors. We understand that in this changing market and in the, with the decrease in tradespeople, that there is just a huge need here, specifically in Savannah, for quality maintenance and quality restoration. So that is our that so we we created this service specifically tailored for investors. We understand the needs of investors as, as far as getting things done in a timely manner, coming in within budget, having consistent pricing, quality customer service, good communication, and so we've wrapped all that up into one package, and are delivering it to you. Um, if you guys want, are interested in more information or, or want to get put on the schedule, go check us out at www.foundersmaintenance. Dot com, or you can give us a call, 912-472-1802. All right, thanks, guys. And one more thing I just wanted to address. So I wanted to apologize for the lack of new episodes. I appreciate the continued support. You guys have been incredible, even in the face of, um, of no new episodes. Like the amount of listeners has been humbling and... I was, I'm just blown away. I'm so, so grateful for, for all of you that listen. Um, we want to continue to provide you with high-quality content from people in this market, You know, hearing their backstories as well as tips and tricks that they have for navigating, especially during these difficult times of not knowing exactly where appreciation is going to go or you know, not knowing what the inventory is going to do and how to navigate through those challenges. I'm in a market that is growing as rapidly as Savannah specifically, but more broad, the Southeast overall. So um, we are going to start doing these in seasons. So right now we are actively recording new episodes. And in June, we will release season three, which will come out every single week for 12 weeks. Um, they don't know exactly when in June, probably in June, but um, I can't commit to exactly how long it'll take between seasons or exactly how long every single season will be, but this next one's going to be 12, and we're going to see how it goes um, and, and continue to try to tell the story of this real estate community here um, as authentically as we possibly can through, you know, just as, as, as brawl interview as we can possibly do. Um, so... In the meantime, I'm going to drop you guys with this. This is an episode we've been holding on to since the end of last year with Mofin, the Mofin Lending, specifically James, Tyler, and George. They are fantastic. I know a lot of us deal with hard money lenders, and a lot of times you know, you don't always know what's going on behind the scenes on the other end of those emails and phone calls. So this is a great glimpse into that world, um, getting an idea of exactly you know, what kind of things are they thinking about on a day-to-day basis so that from their mindset to when they started this to... Um, you know, just communicating with the investment community and some of their decision-making processes, and and this was a this episode is packed with great content that makes your lender considerably more um, relatable. And I know a lot of us deal with MoFin specifically, but just you know, hard money overall, uh, lenders overall. I think that this was just a great glimpse into that industry and into the lives of uh, Tyler, James, and George. So appreciate you guys, appreciate them for coming on, appreciate you guys for listening, and here's the episode. Everybody, it's the MPG Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Josh Mosler. This week, I got Tyler Peters, James M, and George Despotopoulos. Almost butchered it. Now that's great. It. <laughs> From Mofen Lending. How you guys doing? Good. Doing good. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah man. Glad to be all, here. All the way from New York City. The Big Apple. We made it. We made it. 
Yes, excited to be here. I know a lot of guys uh, highly recommend y'all. You guys have been doing a lot in this market. Yeah, we've been very active in Savannah. It's a good market for us. For um, just like quick background synopsis, like what's Elevator Pitch, what's MoFin? So uh, MoFin is a real estate investment property lender. Uh, we lend against residential properties primarily. We also do a little bit of commercial. Uh, we are focused only on investment properties, so we don't do any owner-occupied uh, consumer loans. We just you know, really focus on investors. Um, we have a couple of different lending products. One is a 30-year mortgage for rental properties. It's structured essentially the same way as a traditional 30-year mortgage. And then we also do short-term loans for uh, bridge financing or fix and flip. Um, and you know that's those are those are really our two core product offerings. Yeah. How many states you guys off, uh, operate in? We've lent in about thirty-five states. Um, we primarily are up and down the East Coast. Uh, do a little bit in the Midwest, Texas. Um, you know, West Coast is really the only place that we haven't been in the past. But we actually just got our lending or about to get our lending license in California. So we'll start lending there uh, early next year. How burdensome is that? Like getting your lending license in California? It's a little bit of a pain. Uh, it's taken us probably about three months. Um, but we, you know, we hired a, a law firm in California to kind of handle a lot of it. And so that's, uh, you know, there are, I believe, eight states that you need a license to lend for business purpose loans, uh, California being the biggest of those. So um, most other states, it, a license isn't required for the type of lending that we do. Okay, and wh how exactly does the lending that you guys do work? So I've had, we've had a private money lender, local guy, and a traditional mortgage broker, but we never had hard money guys on before. So uh, the way it works is, I mean, the difference between what we do and you know probably what you would get from a normal mortgage company, um, you know, one is that we we the the. Our process is a little different than theirs. You know, their process is generally set up around either their own bank underwriting guidelines or a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type of um, loan process. So, whereas for us, um, you know, we are really, I, I guess, a little more looking at the credit of the loan, I think, um, than a Fannie or Freddie mortgage, where they're kind of more looking at Fannie and Freddie's guidelines and making sure that they just check all the boxes. You know, our loans um, are not government guaranteed as essentially those those loans end up being for their investors um so you know we sell our loans to institutions like hedge funds uh insurance companies that plan on owning those loans and and they care about the credit risk of those loans because you know if they default they actually take the losses so um so we you know when we underwrite our loans we you know we look at the credit but we also a, a big difference i think in our loans is that we're looking at you know what's the what's the income potential of the real estate either if it's a rental property you know what is the rental income and how much does that what's the rental income versus the expense of running the property so your mortgage payment your taxes your insurance we want to make sure that that rental income is going to cover that payment we don't look at your personal income um, which is a big difference between us and a traditional mortgage you know in a traditional mortgage people want to know what's your income what's your expense what are your expenses you know what's your quote, debt to income ratio. Um, we don't look at that at all. We don't care about your personal income. We don't ask you for W-2s. We don't ask, we don't verify employment. We really only care about the property itself and what income does that generate. Um, so that's for our rental loans. And then on the flip side for our, uh, for our bridge loans, for fix and flip, we care about what is the, you know, when you buy this property and then you go and fix it up, what's it gonna sell for afterwards? And are you gonna be able to make money on that and you know be able to pay off the loan and make some profit for yourself because we don't want to be into deals that 
you know, first and foremost, we want to make sure we get paid back, obviously, as the lender, but also we want to make sure that it's a profitable deal for the investor, because if it's not profitable for them, why would they even complete the deal in the right. first place? Right. So, um, you know, that's that's those are the I think the differences between us and kind of a more traditional mortgage that somebody might be used to. Two questions. First, could a bank using like do like a conventional loan or like a, you know, not government backed loan? Could they do what you guys are doing and do they? They could do what we're doing. Um, I think typically they don't. Um, there are some banks that that I mean, they certainly do commercial loans. Right. Um, so so that's you know that's something that they do. They typically don't play as much in the uh, in the fix and flip market for sure because there's just I think they perceive that to be kind of a risk that doesn't really line up with with their goals as a bank. You know, as a bank, you typically want to obviously make things that are very very low risk um well then it's very labor intensive the fi fix and flip for rehabs you're basically funding not only the purchase price of the property but you're also funding the rehab budget of the property so for example if an investor sees an opportunity to buy a property that they think is attractive and you know has experience hopefully um renovating homes they basically come to us for the money for the down payment on the purchase but also to pay for the renovation costs. And so as long as the numbers line up, which effectively, not to get too detailed now, I mean, yeah, we could later yeah. on, but as long as the purchase price uh, and the loan to value of the purchase price fits a certain ratio for us. And then um, when you, on top of that, add the rehab budget, as long as that completed work and that cost is a certain ratio to the final expected value when you try to sell it or try to refinance it, then that works for us. During that process, so while you're rehabbing, you know, what's what's called the draw process, an actual person has to review the draw, you know, um, the draw request, but also the report that comes out to evaluate the property up until that draw. So that that the work progress report effectively. And then, you know, there's several steps in between that has to be done by an actual human being. So well, a lot of banks and traditional lenders don't necessarily have the manpower or maybe the wherewithal, but you know, just in general, don't want to commit too much uh, to a business like that because it's just very labor intensive. How many people are on your guys' team? We have seven. Seven? Right yep. And then, I don't know, can you disclose like how much business do you do with seven people? Or is it like a range? A lot. A lot? <laughs> a lot. Like, yeah. How I've... labor intensive is it? I, don't, uh, you know what I mean, that's what I'm trying to gauge. Like, right now we uh, we do about seven million a month um, in volume, um, which is typically ends up being about thirty loans. I would say a month. Okay. Um, you know, that's grown for us. Um, we've we've grown a lot this year. Um, we've added a couple people this year to kind of meet that growth, and and we're in the process of adding a couple more because you know we want our goal for early next year is to be at ten million a month in the first half of next year. Um, and you know, obviously, continue to go from there. 120 million loans a year. That's pretty crazy, huh? Because yeah. when you guys started, what was it? Like, what was the first month? Uh, 120,000. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> for yeah. 300,000, and then you know, it was it was trying to crack that million a month uh, mark, and then you know, before when COVID hit, we were at on a decent trajectory. We were at about four or five million a month, and then 
obviously went to zero uh, for a few months and then had to build it back up. But it's been, you know, as everything has been, it's, it's come back stronger than it was before. So. Right. Yeah. Oh, just to give you some perspective as to how much we've grown in terms of volume versus like adding bodies and head, head count. Um, end of 2019, it was like 3 million a month. And now we're about to do 10 million. And we've went from three people to seven people. So, you know, that's how busy it's gotten. And, and we're planning to grow even more like headcount wise. But um, it was, I, I think, I don't know if you guys would agree, but like COVID at first was super scary. And we were like, oh, this is really going to hurt the business. But if anything, I think as an end result and maybe, in, you know, knock on wood, yes, like knock on wood. unintended consequence, it's actually helped the market. You know, so um, especially with the outflux of people out of certain cities and or, you know, more urban areas and suburban areas and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of different factors involved, but like we're more busy than we could have imagined, yeah. you know, so. And I think that that growth in volume is a product of kind of how we're set up and how we operate versus our competitors. So, you know, Tyler, James and I are kind of like the main three front three that handle every single loan we do. So when Typically, when you go to one of our competitors, you're working with kind of more of like a junior account executive, which is fine, but they're not, ultimately, they're not a decision maker. Or they don't have authority to make decision. Whereas every loan that we take on, one of the three of us uh, is reviewing it and really is getting in the weeds on it. So it just allows for like a quicker process, a much more competent approach, um, and a lot more consistency and certainty to close. So yeah. that's that's really what's driven our our business and our volume, um, and you know we're looking to grow now. But it, that's the kind of like the same approach that we're going to still take is that every single loan, you know, one we look at every single loan like yeah together we're the together. we're the credit committee yeah. Whereas at a lot of the other lenders, you'll be the the borrower will be just dealing with a junior person or not even a junior. Just let's just say, a, you know, their their face to face is not the person that's making the decisions. They have to report up to somebody, and that could take time that could you know miscommunication could occur you know or whatever and for that, us it's we're the credit committee so yeah. every borrower will be speaking to all three of us at some point in the stage of the process and they know that the decisions are being made by us yes so. exactly so like when a loan comes in and i speak to somebody and i quote them terms uh the terms that we that we quote initially are are based on an actual review of everything that's been provided to us so and then you know you'll get investors who show us terms from a competitor and those terms are gener generated in like five minutes. Whereas, you know, I actually take the time to review what's being requested and, you know, make sure because every time we were, we're a small team, like we said, when we get a loan into underwriting, we want it to close. We can't waste time. We can't waste our resources, our time um, in something that might work. So, yeah. So I think we're set up a little bit differently and we take a different approach some of our competitors and that's that's really why we've we've grown and repeat business is our you know number one kind of like driver of that and um and and referrals that's that's how we've grown it's been repeat business and referrals really yeah well if we're gonna, before we get like too deep into this because like i am really interested in it. i have like a bunch more questions about it but like let's, let's talk about the history so background um Tyler and George, you guys, you guys are, were the co-founders originally, right? Yes. So going back, what is your guys' backgrounds, or like from what's your trajectory from like eighteen to when you guys first met? Oh man, 
We'll start um, with uh, Tyler. So I was uh, I worked in the mortgage industry um, at a few different investment banks, uh, mostly trading securities that were backed by mortgages. Um, and then before I started Mofin, the last thing I was doing was really working more with loans themselves. So I was buying pools of loans from other originators, and it had switched from you know pre-crisis, pre-2008, where you know the big products were subprime loans and Alt-A loans and things like that. Um, that had kind of gone away, and this new these new products that popped up were fix and flip and rental loans. And I thought those were really interesting. I thought those were um, you know something that. It was a sort of a newish new business that kind of really popped up. I'd say around 2012, 2013 is when it started. I mean, there were hard money lenders before that, but it was just it was very different than what it looked like after the crisis. Um, so you know that was very interesting to me, and I thought there was an opportunity to to start a business there. Um, we had a uh, a mutual friend of George and mine uh, is actually who introduced us to each other. Um, he was interested in being a part of the business to start. Ended up not taking the jump yeah. that we did. Um, but because it is a big leap to, you know, move away from another job and, and start something from scratch. Uh, but, you know, thankfully he introduced George and I and we, uh, you know, we had different backgrounds. So, you know, mine was in finance uh, and I'll, you know, turn it over to George to tell about his. But, you know, I think when we first started, we had very different skill sets that allowed us to complement each other and, and start the business. Before we jump over, what, like, did you always dream of like working on Wall Street and finance, or like, how did that happen? Like, how did you even get? Yeah, into what finance? was your dream? I never asked you what what your dream was. I wouldn't say I always dreamed about it. Um, I think, I mean, math has always been my strong suit um, for in, you know from when I was a kid. And, and did so, you grow up in Manhattan? Uh, I did not. No, I grew up in Maine. Okay. Um, and for some reason, I wanted to be a lawyer. Oh <laughs> when wow! I, was a kid. I mean, you're you're and a better lawyer than some of the lawyers we've worked with. I, I wanted to be a lawyer, and then. Sometime around high school, I think my mom was the one that told me, she's like, you know, as a lawyer, you have to do a lot of reading and writing. You know, that's not really your strong suit. <laughs> you're a lot better at Thanks, math mom. than you are at reading and writing. And yeah. I was like, you're right. I really don't like to read. <laughs> not, I mean, I like to read. I'm not a great, you know, I'm not a fast reader. I'm not, mm -hmm. uh, you know, math is, is has always been more that's so, so why don't you do something with numbers? Why don't you do something in finance? Um, and so that's kind of. That's how I did it. It wasn't it wasn't a lifelong. Well, I'm, I'm the opposite. I was terrible at math, so I was like, "What's the profession with least math?" And it was being being an attorney. So that's why I <laughs> that's the approach I took, and I liked reading, so that was great for me. Yeah, yeah. But you're definitely very analytical, and that you know, I think you would have been the great attorney, obviously. So yeah, maybe maybe there's a future <laughs> if this doesn't work out. Like if we don't hit, if we don't hit three million. Years. Yeah. I think I'm too old to go. Too old to go back to law school. I mean, I actually wanted to be a lawyer too. Oh man, I'm living your dream, yeah, guys. Yeah. I, I mean, oh. but I was like Tyler. I was better at math, but I, I mean, I was decent. I mean, I ma majored in um, psychology and uh, philosophy in school, so I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to be a lawyer. That's like, what else be. would you do? <laughs> like, yeah. No other jobs. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so Tyler and I, this is James, Tyler and I uh, worked together on Wall Street at a couple uh, firms. Um, he was doing residential bond trading. I was doing commercial mortgage bond trading. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, to answer your question that you asked him, no, I didn't ever dream of Wall Street. I didn't know much about Wall Street. Like when I was in college, like I said, I thought I was going to go to law school. Um, and I went to University of Chicago undergrad. And after four years of doing that, I was like, man, doing three more years of school, probably most likely at University of Chicago, I'm like, this is torture, I'm not gonna do that. 
so what job can I get? And all, a lot of my buddies were econ majors at University of Chicago, and they were like, oh, we're, you know, we're interviewing on Wall Street, this and that. You don't even really need that much experience. All you have to do is interview well. They teach you everything on the job, and you make tons of money. I was like, that seems like a good opportunity. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a quick learner. Um, I'm good with numbers. And so I interviewed with a couple of people um, in Chicago and then got to final rounds in New York and Manhattan, mostly through just like being introduced to, you know, old guys that I went to school with that were older than me that were already working on Wall Street. Their bosses, when they'd be in town to interview or when they'd be in town for a deal, you know, they'd invite me out and I'd meet them and try to like, you know, be social and stuff and got the interviews and got the job and that was it. And from there, you know, real estate seemed interesting. So that's kind of how I ended up uh, doing that. Was it like a similar trajectory then for you too? It was just like Manhattan just makes sense because it's finance? Yeah, you kind of had to do it actually. You know, at least, I mean, I started in the late 90s. So like there weren't many spots for undergrads, um, graduates to go outside of Manhattan. They wanted everybody to train in Manhattan and then all the jobs were in Manhattan for the most part. And then where did you go to school, Tyler? I went to NYU. Oh, okay. So you're already there, kind of. Yeah. I mean, growing up in Maine in a small town, I, I wanted something different for college. So I all the schools I applied to were either in Boston or New York. They were basically all city schools. Um, and NYU had a good finance program. Um, and that's, that's why I chose NYU. And I figured, you know, what better place to be if I wanted to go into finance than be in New York already? Because you can get job experience. You can, right. you know, I, I worked while I was in school. I would, you know, get internships and, um, you know, try to get some experience because I, I had no exposure to the fi- the finance world before that. And then George. Yes. Trajectory. Oh, man. Where'd you start? How'd you get to New York? I was born and raised in, no, where should we, um, I was, no, actually I was born and raised in Queens. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm from New York. Yes, I'm from New York and um, didn't think I would, be involved in this industry whatsoever ever so i didn't even know what a mortgage really was even out of law school i didn't know how it worked and and all that but yeah i grew up in queens played played sports my whole life thought soccer was going to be the my thing pretty soccer man i'm a soccer fan yeah i played pretty was that was my life i was actually overseas for you know trials and tournaments when i was 15 got offers but my parents wanted me to finish high school end of high school, I got pretty injured, um, I tore a muscle. So never really after that recovered. Um, so didn't really know what, what I wanted to do in undergrad. And I, like I said, I, I was terrible at math and I was great at reading. So <laughs> I just went pre-law and then went into law school again, enjoyed reading, really didn't like my peers. No offense to any attorneys <laughs> out there, but I didn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't my thing. And, and where did you go to law? Where did you go to I went to St. John's University. It's in Queens. It's in Queens. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I stayed local. And yeah, I started, I was an attorney. I was working for a solo practitioner. I actually took a different approach once I got licensed. Once I got out of law school, I, um, I just linked up with a bunch of more senior attorneys in different areas of the law that I found interesting and would just find business for myself and have them kind of mentor me through whatever sort of matter it was, whether it was litigation or something more transactional where I was helping people start businesses and draft agreements. Um, And my ultimate goal was to go back for my MBA and then try to figure out something from there. And that's when, like Tyler mentioned, one of of my childhood friends 
who worked with Tyler in the same industry had this idea to start a lender and, and connected all three of us. Uh, and that's when we started working on it together. And uh, yeah, we Tyler and I were kind of doing it full time for for about like a year almost it felt when we were just like, you know, it's time to take it to the next level uh, and and do this as as our career, as our business. And he wasn't ready to make the jump. We were, you know, we had made our first loan. We were like, let's we have to do this. It's time. And that's when we decided, you know, just us two, we were going to make it happen. What made like doing loans appealing to you because it was i mean for finance right it's kind of in the realm but for being in law like that's not really i um so what i do for our business i i love it you know i get to talk to people all day long and review their requests and just just connect with people and that's you know what i'm i think i'm good at is just connecting with people and yeah talking through things and figuring things out figuring solutions you know i love what i do so yeah, it, it's, but I mean, in the beginning, like, what beginning, was the appeal? Well, like I said, I did want to go get my MBA. And I also, you know, grew up, my, my father started his own business, was an entrepreneur himself. I always felt like that's kind of a better fit for me, a better lifestyle choice. Didn't really want to work in an office setting, Didn't, especially not a law firm setting, could not handle that. Um, yeah, I'm not a very serious uh, person. So, yeah. Didn't, it wasn't a fit, so I just knew I wanted to do something different. And when and when this opportunity came up, it, it, it was just resonated. very interesting. Yeah, it was a challenge because I didn't really know much about the mortgage world, the mortgage industry, uh, and yeah, we just figured it out and we went from there. So then, what was that first year together like? Because you said you had done your first loan, right? So what was the build up to that first loan? And then do you like remember like what are some of the details? Oh, I remember I it. Much, I absolutely remember the first loan. We, we were in a fact. <laughs> we were we closed our first loan. On the second floor of a factory, yeah, <laughs> in the middle of Woodside, Queens, New York. Like Shout that was out. your office, or it was uh, sort of an office. <laughs> it was a room in within uh, an office within someone else's office on top of that a was factory. like a friend of a friend that we needed to have. So what we found out was this was interesting when we we figured we could just you know start the business kind of out of our apartments and you know work from home and when we started one of the things we need to do but to be able to um to make our loans is we need to pull credit reports on people we need to pull background reports on them and we probably should have thought more about this but you know that's that's a pretty serious thing to pull somebody's credit report you get their social security number you know you run that you have a lot of information and so the companies that you can order that through you know to order somebody else's credit report they are pretty serious about making sure that you're the real deal and that you're not you know, yeah, there's like trying to steal people's too. identities and, and do things yeah. like that. Yeah. So you have to have a real office. They come and they make sure that you have an office where there's a door that locks and yeah. you have a paper shredder. I think they actually think people are still printing out credit reports yes. and looking at them on pieces of paper. <laughs> no, so you actually had to own a paper shredder. We had, so we had to go out and buy a paper shredder so that people, when they came and inspected our office to make sure that it was legit, that we had a, a shredder, we had to have file cabinets that lock, yep. um, which was kind of funny. So so we ended up having that that office and we had file cabinets and we had a paper shredder and- Just like uh, an empty paper shredder. And yeah. <laughs> no, we, no we, actually, I mean, we actually shredded some paper just so it could look legitimate. Yeah. 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 Did you return it afterwards? We actually did like, return like it. To Best Buy. We got two. Did we get 35 bucks back? Yeah, we returned one. Yeah. Um, to this day, I still have never printed out a credit report. So, no. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't think that the paper shredder is really 
that necessary. But um, it was definitely tough in the beginning. I mean, you know, it's a capital intensive business and we were trying to make money and make loans. And it was it was it was definitely tough. There yeah. was yeah, a year and a half or so where I, I would say there was a struggle. So one thing that's I think that that's a good point. One thing that's different between us and a bank is we don't hold our loans. We don't have the capital to hold our loans long term. You know, if we're making 30 year mortgages and we're doing seven million a month, if we weren't selling those to off to other investors, we'd run out of money. Uh, you know, right and away. investors are like institutional loan buyers. They're not right. individuals. We're not selling loans to individuals. We're selling them to major outfits that are buying hundreds of millions of loans a month. So so our goal is to, you know, take the capital we have and turn it over as fast as we can. Just, you know, same as our investors do. They have a certain amount of money that they want to go and buy houses with. You know, if they're not, if they're in the market of either flipping or, you know, even if they're only rentals, you know, they buy the houses, but they don't buy them in 100% cash. They buy them and they either take a loan from us or, you know, they sell the house so they can get their money back and go and put it into the next project. Um, so we're the same way, you know, we, we need to sell our loans off. But when we first started, we didn't have any buyers. So um, we, we made our first few loans just with our own money and kind of took the bet that we'd get somebody, you know, to be interested in, and to take us seriously, which was harder than actually I thought it would be. Um, you know, and I probably should have known it would be harder, but you know, when you go to somebody with, you go to a hedge fund and you have three or four loans that you've made that add up to three or $400,000, yeah. they look at you and they're like, that's a small, that's a very small trade for us. Like, what are, yeah. why, why would we even waste our time getting to know you guys if, you know, just for this, little $300,000 trade. And for us, I mean, 300,000 was a lot of money. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. But for them, that's tiny. And so it's, yeah, it's you know, not we, had to, we had to show them, look, you know, we're committed to this business. We put our own money into it to, to get it started. And, you know, yes, this is a small first trade, but you should take us seriously because, you know, down the road, we're gonna be doing a lot more business. And we had a lot of people say no to that before, um, you know, an institution said yes and said that, you know, they, they would buy our first you know five loans that we had made. They bought them all as one package. And then we went out and from there just started trying to make as many as we could and kept selling to that. Uh, you know, that that actually, that relationship that we that we started, that was our first buyer, um, the, the people have moved to a different place, but they're actually still, you know, one of our biggest buyers the, uh, of loans uh, to this yeah. day. And, and just to point out, I think this is pretty commonplace in our industry. Our competitors, all most of our competitors, if not all, sell their 30-year loans. So this is not unique to us in any way, just to make that clear. Because I know right. some in, some real estate investors, when they come to us, one of their first questions is always like, do you sell your loans or do you keep them in-house? And you know, we're upfront, we sell our 30-year loans. It's not, you know, and that's not anything unique to Mofin. I mean, we underwrite the loan ourselves. We are the decision maker, you know, it's our capital, it's our money that we're lending out. Um, it, yeah, no lender really holds their 30-year loans in our space. But you know the big difference between us and somebody that's just brokering is that, like George said, we use our own capital to fund the loans. Um, yeah, we don't broker. You know, we ever. don't. We, we don't broker loans, so we're not. Um, you know, we're not waiting for somebody else to say to give us the money or to um, and also know, to say okay to it. You know, we we close the loan and then you know we deal with selling it on the back end after after it's already closed. Um, whereas in a brokering relationship, you know, they would essentially need to know that they had the loan sold already, or it's not even really selling it. It's really just having that end institution actually fund the loan at the closing table whereas you know for our loans where the where the institution is yeah. funding it and the and the also the big thing is when you're dealing with a broker which you know there are great brokers out there usually there's an added cost because you're paying the broker's fee in addition to the lender's origination fee so when you work directly with us the fees are are lower 
because there's no there's no broker involved. We're not a broker, but yeah. What incentive do institutional investors have in like buying these loans? Well, because I mean, like the margins are pretty small, right? Why wouldn't they just take that same money and go like make higher returns elsewhere? It, well, the real answer to the question is, you know, in the last ten years, maybe even longer, uh, the risk-free rate or interest rates have been super low, and the Fed the Fed rate zero. So, you know, it's it's not necessarily true that there's many other opportunities where they could make you know more income or more interest um and this is a product that's been around for a really long time so historically speaking too uh i mean real estate in general um they i think more hedge funds and money managers um and institutional investors feel that um, bricks and mortar are things that they can understand more so than maybe other more esoteric products so um the rates that the the you know return on investment in our space is is attractive so um they, they come to our market you know the, the biggest market right now is the securitization market so the, the what'll happen is the investors that buy the loans from us will then package them then carve them up into securities and then sell them as well to the to the open market which is other hedge funds and and uh, money managers, insurance companies, and whatnot. So, and, and that's the world that Tyler and I came from. So, from that perspective, we had an understanding. Um, neither of us really underwrote individual loans um, per se. I mean, I did on the commercial side when I first started in the business, but we are we are more on the trading side. So, um, at least having that perspective has also, you know, given us as a firm a little bit of an advantage because when we talk to real estate investors, we know what they want are trying to do on the real estate side, but we can explain the process and the end goal for the investors that we sell the loans to a little bit to them if they if they want to know. Um, and it's kind of more a more seamless process where I think with our competitors, um, our borrower will speak to someone that doesn't really know where the loan is going. They're just kind of in the seat to drum up business or to underwrite the loan and then just move it on. Um, whereas, you know, from our past experience, we can kind of walk borrowers through the whole process, but also kind of like, you know, why does this loan make sense to you, to us, and then to who we sell it to. So, um, and are you guys still using like all your own funds off that like original or how does that work? Do you, do you guys have to like bring investors in? Yeah. So we have, um, we have, so the company itself is, is self-funded. Um, we, uh, we have not raised outside equity capital. Um, before now, but we do have uh, credit lines from from different people, so from different yeah. institutions. So uh, we are able to draw down on those credit lines to make a loan, um, and then you know pay that credit line back when we sell it. That's um, pretty insane. Actually. Yeah, so it's 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 something. I mean, we had to have equity in the business to be able to get that credit line because right. they want to make sure that you know we have our own capital as well, um, and we have to provide you know a haircut. Essentially, so like if 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 someone's giving a, lending us money to go out and make a loan, they're not going to lend us all of the money to make the loan. They'll lend us part of it, yeah. and so that know. we have skin in the game as well. Yeah, and we also had to show them a track record. You know, it took a while to build enough of a track record that say, you know, we've done these loans with our own money up to this point. We need more money to do more loans, right, and to to grow our business. And so they would have to basically kind of look back at our track record and say, okay. 
we see what you've done in the past and that kind of makes sense. So we do feel comfortable extending this credit line to you. So. Um, something I kind of skipped over. So like the first customer, how did you guys find the first customer? I think it was just through uh, Google ads. Yeah, Google George's ads. ex-girlfriend. It oh, was like, my ex, no. it was my, my dad. <laughs> oh, wait, Thanks, dad. Hey, dad. Huh? Wait, was no, dad? no, no, no. We found, <laughs> it was through, I think it was through Google ads. I was like, your dad found you through Google ads. <laughs> yeah. So it was actually, when we, when we launched the website, we, uh, we started, you know, buying, uh, you know, paying through Google ads to, to put ads out there for keyword searches and things like that. Um, and we got a lot of applications. Um, the first couple months, I think we got you know about a hundred applications, but we weren't actually live lending yet. So we were kind of <laughs> like we, were, test we, we sort of like tested it out, yeah. and and we had to go back to people and say, you know, we're just kind of in beta launch right now. Yeah. You know, we're, we're expecting to go back soon. And then um, we kind of combed through when we were ready to start. We combed through those those applications, applications and yeah. and saw which ones we thought were the most promising. And then we reached back out to those people and said, hey, we're actually live now. Are you still looking for a loan? And a lot of them said no, that they had already found somebody by that point. But you know, so a few of them said, yeah, actually, I am still in the market for a loan. And so we ended up the first borrower that we ever worked with. We did five loans with him. Yeah. Um, and well, you should probably talk about the, the website, mofinloans.com. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, did you guys design that yourselves? Or? Oh, actually, yes. I mean, this, the current iteration, we had hired a design uh, agent, like a digital ad agency to do it. And their first mock-up was at, at, terrible. Um, so then we ended up doing it pretty much ourselves. We have like an in-house like CTO and uh, I just found some images that looked great and he was able to manipulate them and we sent it back to the digital ad agency and we're like, hey, can you guys do this? And they're like, yeah, sure, that looks great. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> they sort of, they sort of put the finishing, finishing touches on it. But yeah. Yeah. Did a lot of yeah. So, so yeah, we, we, that was actually really us that drove that. Um, the first one you're talking about? Or no, the next? first one was like some local, actually a high school teacher of our mutual friend that introduced us, created the first one. Not bad. Um, the first logo was was very bad. Tyler <laughs> pushed for that one, but quickly came to his senses. I can show that. I'll share it one day on on our Instagram if I post again. Um, <laughs> Is it on Instagram right now? No, no. That that first logo we had was upsetting. I it can't even. Terrible. I can't even look at it. Um, but yeah, Mofin stands for Mortgage Financing. So M O F I www.mofinloans.com. Again, I was I so <laughs> yeah, go to mofinloans.com. Great website, great rates. Um, everything's great. Good looking but guys on there. Great looking guys. And no, when we when we first started, yeah, it was we we really we were just trying to get something going, you know? And Mofin sounded cool. It stands for mortgage financing. And we were like, all right, let's just do it. Um, it's a great name. It's super. I love the Mofin. Like, really? It's, I oh, feel I like love it's Mofin. memorable, right? Yeah. Like, I never have a hard time remembering. I mean, we're not. We're not. The first time I heard it. Yeah. Every. It seems like every competitor of ours has like lending in their name um, as yeah. a, like the first Generic word. And, yeah. Um, you guys know who they are. Don't use them. And, <laughs> uh, but no, Mo, I think Mofin's definitely unique. I think we, I like it. 
Uh, I like the name. Yeah. Oh, you like your own company's I name? I like our own company's yeah, name. Good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Better than Despotopolis Loans. <laughs> Despotopolis Yeah. That's the second iteration. How did you guys, like, how many, how long did you guys spend choosing a name? Was there, like, it was not like a, long at all? It was like a week or. Was we were, it that long? Not even, like, three days. We I think like, we came up with a list and they were all so boring. So boring. Was there a runner up? No. Do you remember? Not really. No. No, it was like capital this or something. We we're just like, I don't know. Who thought of Mofin? The guy who's not working. Yeah. One guy that didn't come over. Yeah. <laughs> he left us. It's Actually, like I, think we, I think we tried to file the name as Mortgage Finance Corporation yeah, we and then we were going to just do a DBA as Mofin, but um, we got denied we by got the state denied. of New York because <laughs> they are very strict about allowing you to put the name mortgage in your name or. Yeah. Or, <laughs> so that's when like we pivoted and we're just Mofin now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a cool name. How long, um, so how long before, are you guys in business before uh, Tyler comes in, or I'm sorry, before James comes into the situation? You started in 2019? 18. So, yeah. so oh. pretty quickly then, because we started, we made our first loans in- 2016, the end of, what was it? We really kind of started hitting our stride, I'd say early 2018 yeah. was when we started. Yeah. That was when we, we started our, we did our first loans, we also, um, raised our fund then, um, which was you know very small when we started. We just with friends and family investors, we uh, have a, a separate fund that buys some of our bridge loans. Um, so it doesn't buy the 30 year loans, but the one year bridge loans, we, um, we sell some of them to institutions, but we also keep some of them in our fund. Um, and so, you know, that allowed us to get a little capital too, to get started and, and you know, but originate loans and, and put them into the fund. Um, and that was started in April, 2018. So then what's the story? Like employee number one, James? Yeah, I mean, basically other than these two guys that co-founded it, yeah, I was- We also like have to give the credit to Julianne. Oh yeah, yeah. Julianne, I gotta give I mean, a shout out to Julianne. Julianne is out there hopefully listening. Our COO. Oh yes, she's- COO uh, slash CAO. Yeah. What's she, CAO? Administrative office. Oh, okay. Yeah. She, yeah. she does everything to, to keep things running and keep yes. the- uh, Keep the business moving. Yes. So but she was there in the beginning too. Yes. 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 Oh, okay. So yeah, I was like uh, employee four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, and but, how did that conversation happen? Like, what was the? Um, you know, I was at, you know at a point in my career where I'd worked on Wall Street for a really long time and um, wanted to try something different. Um, Tyler and I had worked together. You know, we met up one time and just was talking about it. I had some other business ideas um, that I was like exploring. Um, to start my own company or to start with another person, a different type of company, but finance related, uh, not mortgage related. And uh, I wanted to bounce that idea off of him because I know he had started Mofin. So I was like, oh, if I wanted to start my own company, try to get some info from him and an idea of like what it would take uh, and what, the ex what his experience was. Um, at that time, I didn't know George. And then in, I don't know, as a follow-up meeting maybe, like he invited me to the office that they, they were doing like a share space at the time. And then I met George and kind of the other thing didn't, it didn't really pan out, but it was still something like an interesting idea. But then I was like, oh, well, in the meantime, maybe I, you know, come help you guys out. You know, like I was like, I don't, I don't even need to get paid. I just, if I'm around you guys and if I see what, you know, what you're doing, maybe that'll spark some ideas or, give me more information about starting my own company. And then from there, kind of just as they were growing really quickly, um, 
I was maybe working one one day a week, two days a week, and then it started becoming three days a week, and then more and more. And like as the the market started getting busier, and the company and more business was starting to uh, come through the door, I just ended up staying on. Just so, like it just made sense. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it was it was. I mean, I think our past careers also obviously helped my, mine, especially like I kind of understood just generally how things worked, like how what I knew what a mortgage was, I knew how it worked. I mean, I didn't know maybe the process, but I had bought a home, so I kind of knew that. Um, I had built a home, so I knew that. And then all these all these experiences that I've had in my life are kind of like, oh, they just were applicable. And it's like, okay, makes sense. Stick around. And as we were getting more busy, it was like, yeah, I definitely need to stick around. So right, yeah, yeah. the Basically. bottom floor of Facebook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that'd be great. Meta. Yeah, yeah, meta now. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Meta, meta. Excuse me. <laughs> Two trillion. <Yeah. laughs> uh, what is the biggest? Uh, who is the biggest player in your guys' space? Do you guys know? The oh, our competitor. Player? Yeah, the biggest say, competitor that you have. I mean, lending home. Lending home is probably one of the biggest. How many, uh, How much is lending home do? They do about a hundred million a month. Yes, I think. for sure. I mean, we don't want to talk about the big competitor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's fine because like you can work with them. You'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Work with Lending Home. Work with like RCN and and then Finance think, of America. Think about us the whole time. Yeah, and then, about and then he'll call us. <laughs> Finance of America is huge. They're um, huge. Yeah, yeah. Finance of America commercial solid too. I mean, you know, a lot of good lenders out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not, I'm yeah. not. Yeah, I'm just. But um, yeah, I think Lending Home definitely is, is probably the biggest, and RCN's pretty big, right? RCNs, no, they're not. They're not as big as as lending home. All right, RCN, if you're listening, you got work to do. But yeah, I think lending is interesting because like it really affects like everybody. But so many people know so little about how it really works in the backside. Do you know what I mean? Like I think most people wouldn't even know who the biggest competitor that space is, even though they probably like like they're so their hands are so in the community. Yes, like it affects the community so much. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Savannah, is this your guys' biggest market? We talked about it a little bit before the podcast, but is this your guys' biggest market? I'd say top, top three. No, yeah, probably. I top think three. the state of Georgia in general. Yeah, I think is probably because yeah, we do some Atlanta. State. We do a lot of stuff in Atlanta area. Yeah. So, what else? Where else? Where else is big? Where else is big? Florida, Florida is big. Um, Texas, 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 Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. yeah we have a couple really big investors yeah. in, in Pennsylvania. Okay, that's kind of interesting. You don't hear a lot of Pennsylvania. It's just like people moving around. Yeah, we got lucky. We got lucky. Yes. <laughs> it's all George too. He'll take credit for that. I mean, oh, no. yeah. Okay, what's the story? Uh, no, I'm just uh, they call these guys call me the deal master. They because <laughs> like I just bring in deals. Dude, you're right. I just every time I in the morning I'm like, hey, deal master, you want coffee? <laughs> Which we get and for I, lunch. And I say no master. because I'm off caffeine, <laughs> um, but I always appreciate it. But um, no, I mean everything. Every you know, every investor we've we work with pretty much has been a grind to get to work with us in the because in the beginning we were relatively unknown. Like we had no presence, no online presence. So um, yeah, so we just we just got lucky. Well, the, the Pennsylvania investor. investor was like lucky because you were on a speed dating thing and then <laughs> you met. You know, isn't that, isn't that how- <laughs> I wish um, I'm not allowed on speed dates anymore, but. Um, <laughs> Actually, I actually got got them through just I slid into their DMs. So similar to speed dating, similar to speed dating. I'm not lying. Yeah, that's how I got them. And you, or you swiped left and it just I worked. swiped left and it worked out. Um, but you know, like I said, we got lucky because you know to give some local guys a shout out for like Curtis. 
Bellinot, for example, was I think top one of our first five loans, right? He was our first rehab loan. He was our first rehab loan. Ever. Yeah. First fix Ever. and flip loan. And that was, wasn't was that 2017? That was late 2017. Yeah, that was late 2017. Yeah. And we're still working with him. We're still, you know, like, I think our first five borrowers, we still pretty much work with all of them. I mean, yeah. um, so we just got lucky that we found the right people and we've grown alongside them and they've been great in referring us and allowing us to keep growing and doing more business. Yeah, so. I mean, I think for that, especially, I don't know about the first five, but all our biggest clients now pretty much exclu are exclusive with us. And I think maybe some of them may have tried to go away because of whatever, you know, better rate or bigger and better promises or whatever it yes. is, and they're back. Yes. So that's, I think that's, and that's part of that, not only just loyalty, but like, you know, from their experience, they, they understand that I they've mean, gone to lending one or they've gone to some of our competitors and like, yeah, we're going back to Mofin. Yes, so. it hurts when someone doesn't use us that's worked with us. Like, you know, we because we spend so much time um, and effort and we love what we're doing. So yeah, we try to make sure everybody's happy. It's very hard to do, it takes a lot of time and it's a lot of stress, uh, but we actually, you know, every single loan, we try to make sure it goes the way it needs to go and for yeah, our solutions. And I also think with what George is saying, it's important to also emphasize for us, being small, some people would think is a disadvantage, but for us also being Definitely. small in terms of customer service is a huge advantage because our clients know we're available all the time. We're working all the time. It's not like you know, five o'clock, five bells, emails get shut off, phone calls get shut off. You know, we're like, you know, our our borrowers know that we're available whenever they need us, and so um, that kind of level of commitment is is what kind yep. of has helped us. Clearly. Actually, I actually saw this funny thing on the site, which was like, uh, you have a family, and then like, I, I didn't say anything about you being available. It was like. George is lonely all the time and will answer emails all hours of the night. Yes, yeah. I don't have, I have no wife, no kids. Yeah, no so wife, please, no kids. especially around the holidays, just even if it's a terrible deal, just show me it. Let's just talk, <laughs> especially around this time. Yeah, I will yeah. say I was incredibly impressed. We had talked about, um, I don't remember if this was before the show or since it started, but like I had reached out to you guys about doing a deal that I ended up getting financed in a different way. but. Sorry. No, that's but fine. Like, but you guys were super responsive yeah. and really good about follow up, and you were like super, I guess, tenders. Right? I don't know. Okay, like helping great. me along. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm all about it. Look, I, you know, our approach is genuine, sincere. Like, if you don't, we'll tell you what we think. If I think someone can do better, I will tell you that. Like, I really will, because. You know, which uh, my goal is that you'll come back, you'll remember that and come back. Like, you know, even before we came here, I had a call where I, the scenario was okay. We could have made the loan, but I was like, you know what? I think you could go to this or that lender and I gave them specific lenders and I think they'll be able to give you better terms. And, you know, and hopefully we can align on something else. Yeah, there's um, no reason to waste anybody's time. Yeah, exactly. We don't want yeah. our time wasted and we, d we definitely know that our borrowers don't want their time wasted. So let's just cut to the chase and, you know. Yeah. yeah, somebody brings us a loan and we say, this looks like something a bank is supposed exactly. to do. Right. Yeah, it's like, you know, we don't need to waste your time. You I know? actually just remember the situation too. It's not that I didn't use you guys. I'm actually, I, it's because I still have it. I remember I contacted you guys about doing a 30-year refi, but we're going to sell it. Yeah. 
comes out. That's right. Never mind. Yeah. I can rest like a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have, have you sold it yet? <laughs> no, not yet. All right, let's talk after. Because <laughs> <laughs> our thirty-year terms are awesome, right? Now. Yeah. yeah, our rates are super low. No, that's actually true. I think we have extremely competitive rates, but anyway, <laughs> we should. Uh, but you know, going back to what you started asking about Savannah, and you know, if this is this our biggest market? It's it's not our biggest market, but I think it is a super interesting market yeah, for us. Um, it's you know, as George mentioned, it's where we made our first fix and flip loan, and we've done a lot of fix and flip here. Um, and I think it's such a great city for that. I mean, it's, it's a great city in general. And, um, you know, there are a lot of these older houses, you know, old Victorian houses or these old, um, you know, houses that were built in the 1920s, 1930s that haven't had a lot of updates since then. And, you know, you get, you know, we've been fortunate enough to work with some really, really experienced, really good, uh, investors here in Savannah that do a great job fixing those properties up. I mean, if you look at one of the properties that Curtis did on 31st Street, I mean, this place was almost falling apart. And when we did the- It was falling apart. When we did, it was falling apart. When we did the- The appraiser wouldn't go in there. Yeah, the first appraiser that we hired wouldn't go in. He's like, yeah, too dangerous. No, thank you. Here's your money back. (laughs) And if you look at the before and after pictures of that, I mean, it is incredible. incredible. Like you wouldn't even believe it. Post and it on an Instagram. I, th- I think it's, um, I think there's a post on it. It is. Yeah, right? we put a post up on, on yeah. Instagram on that. We don't and, um, post that much, but and yeah, uh, and you know, thankfully, like we've we've gotten to work with a lot of people. And and now, um, you know, when we first started here, I think we were doing mostly fix and flip. And now, a lot of the same investors have started to fix to hold. And and so they're you know fixing up single families or duplexes and holding them as rentals. And so, you know, they'll come to us and we'll do the rehab loan. And then, you know, we get to do the 30 year loan as well on that. Um, and, you know, the rental market's great here. Uh, and and so yeah. it's been it's been a good a good market for us to, to be yeah. in. And we do Airbnbs, which I know are, are hard yeah, to come sure. by here. Oh, yeah, did um, you see the Thunderbolt just passed that? I don't know how like up to date you guys are with local news, but Thunderbolt yeah. just passed the ordinance. Okay. They're capping Airbnbs. Oh yeah, no, we just were talking about that. Just got passed. They're capping them. Capping them. Yes. No more. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we were talking about that yesterday. Wait, so Curtis. you can't, so no more permits or whatever. Permits. No yeah, more exactly. permits, yes. Yeah. So now, like, Tybee's got laws against it now. Yeah. City of Savannah, obviously. Thunderbolt, there's, like, the well, municipalities the that allow it. Or, it, it wow. It's because the hotel lobby's powerful, man. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yep. That makes sense. I mean, that's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, well, I mean, I no, it makes sense. You're right. Follow the money. You'll, yeah. you'll always get the answer. you got to follow the money. Yeah. yeah, but I if mean, you if you happen to have one, we well, you guys do. we do lend against Airbnbs yeah, yeah. and yeah, pretty hot over here for Airbnbs. So yeah, yeah. I mean the town in general There's just so has a lot going for it. Obviously, the weather's great, destination, the history, and the military community. Obviously, so people moving here or just that constant flow, um, inflow and outflow of, of different individuals, um, and you know like tyler said a lot of you know opportunity i mean obviously not as much opportunity as there was like three or four or five years ago but still decent amount of opportunity so um we're looking forward to doing a lot more business yeah continue to do a lot of business here yeah i know you got so you guys you know obviously when you're here when you're here you're like hyper focused on here but you guys get a bird's eye view because you're from new york so how would you say it stacks up against other markets i know we've gone into like how great it is but like would you say that if, like let's say this podcast was in atlanta or mm-hmm. you know what i mean how what would be your say like the top three markets you see with the most potential from mm. a bird's eye view it's interesting um i would not compare it to atlanta um 
I think that's just a totally different market there. Just, you know, it's yeah. such a big city and uh, it's more sprawling. Like, you know, stuff we do in Atlanta is 30 miles from Atlanta. Some, some of the stuff, it, it, you know, it's still the suburbs um, because, uh, but I think, anyway, to answer your question about the biggest markets, I, what would you say? Well, I mean, or, opportunity wise, well, look, we should talk about the two different markets, right? Like I think um, from what we see for fix and flip, decent amount of Tampa stuff, um, but on the rental stuff, Columbus, Jacksonville, um, Savannah is kind of a combination of both. But like Tyler said earlier, it's it's gone from fix and flip to more rental now. Yeah, and I think that's Dallas just a result Worth, of yeah, Dallas Fort Worth. Yeah, it's a, it's, you know, another place that's had a lot of home price appreciation. Yeah. Um, you know, and and uh, we do a lot of rental loans there. Um, not as much fix and flip anymore. I feel no. like it's a lot more 30 year rental. But I think there. that's also a product of like um, the lending landscape there in, in Texas. In some markets, there's a lot of local lenders that have boots on the ground and like do stuff against the ARV. They'll lend against the ARV rather than look at what the as is value is of the property. And we don't really compete with that sort of product. So yeah, we don't really see much fix and flip in, in Texas, in some areas of Texas. Dallas is, is pretty insane. So I read this thing. Actually, I was just looking up like real estate news like that. So they had the most appreciation of any market in the last last year. Dallas, Dallas did. Dallas. Wow. I, I would actually thought it was Austin uh, yeah. for someplace in Texas because yeah, you know, so many people have moved from California yeah. to Texas and to Austin in particular. Um, but well, they have 500 people a day move to the DFW. Wow. Wow. 50,000 people a year. Wow. Right now. That's what they're averaging. Um, that's yeah, I think your, Tampa St. Pete is, is another market that is that yeah. we're very active in that that is, you know, really picking up yeah. um, a lot of we still do a lot of fix and flip there a lot yeah. of um, it's funny, like Florida is is different. Um, I recently moved to, to Florida and, you know, the, you get there's a lot of these towns where it's just, you know, one kind of block house next to the, next to another that's, you know, a little 1200 square foot you know, three bedroom, two bath. And, you know, they're just getting either torn down and rebuilt into these like 3,500 square foot houses or, um, you know, getting, uh, you know, at least updated and, and, um, and, you know, fixed up and sold or fixed up and, and rented. Cause there's, there's so much population growth in, in the Southeast and in Florida and, you know, in Georgia as well, um, that the rental market has been super strong too. What, um, so when you guys say that you see like it go from flip to rental, is that how you know like the growth of that area is slowing down or like what, what do you think that indicates when that happens? Does it mean anything? I think there's less low hanging fruit on the acquisitions, I think is a big thing. Um, you know, if, if, uh, there's, you know, Everybody we talk to here, I mean, they they talk about how when they started buying in Savannah, they were buying houses for fifty thousand bucks or yeah. you know, thirty thousand bucks. You just can't do that anymore. Um, and so there's less, I think, profit potential. It doesn't necessarily mean the growth is is over or anything. I think there's just you know a little less of you know that quick flip that you can do. Yeah, um, yeah I think just in in normal times, it'd be an indication of like values having not. Not to even plateau or or lose steam. I, I think the ratio of being able to purchase something and then rehab it and resell it probably narrows or narrowing is basically indicative of that migration from us seeing more fix and flip to rental in a normal environment. 
but right now monetary policy i think is really more driving everything where interest rates are and then a fed printing more money um i think that you know that's that's resulted in home price appreciation and so because of that it's more expensive to buy a flip and the cost of construction is more expensive so your profitability on a flip is less so than a rental where rates are very low or at all-time lows and if you have a property that's income generating you know to refining it that volume and we're seeing people um that already own these properties that they've rented it out you know refining like that's like I, i guess my point is is in general yeah that it may be indicative of that of prices having gone up um but right now i think part of part of the equation or a bigger part of the equation is just the interest rate environment that we're in um and that's just going to happen you know um and, or and then expectation of where rates are going to be right so if if a borrower thinks a savvy borrower thinks that interest rates are going higher they're going to want to refi as soon as possible into a 30 year loan because they want to lock in that rate and that that's why we're seeing um much more volume on rental than fix and flip I think it's less less than opportunity, you know, less th- more that than about opportunities not being there. Right, like just people trying to get ahead of it. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any markets left that you see where it's like Savannah 5 6 years ago? Where you're buying houses for 50,000? There looks to be growth. It's hard there are house, there are markets yeah. where you can buy a house for 50,000, but I don't know that it has the growth potential. upside potential yeah. that Savannah had yeah. back then. Like I mean there are markets like Cleveland, Baltimore, Detroit yeah. that that I mean New Orleans is some pretty hot. I mean, New yeah. Orleans, yeah. it's hard but, to buy stuff for that price. You, but, yeah, I mean, kind of like Savannah in the right, in the right, maybe even the wrong neighborhood, you yeah. can buy something cheaper. But yeah, the, yeah. But the other thing is like um, from our perspective, when we see deals, right, when you get familiarity with the market, it's because like it get it gets past me, the deal master. Um, <laughs> if it gets past the deal master, I'm also the gatekeeper. It means that the loan qualifies with us. Fifty um, k purchases, not really something we're doing right now. Uh so you know those markets we don't really have a great pulse on them because yeah. we're not active there it doesn't meet our criteria why uh why i mean like why when you do a, like why don't you want to do $50,000 loans well, like the, it's 4% so many reasons i mean the short answer is every loan is this, not every loan is if it's the same amount of work well right we yeah, so, you want to do bigger yes. loans right like I the same amount yeah, yeah, no but okay. i mean just logically speaking though if and not an unexperienced borrower especially comes to us and presents us this 50,000 purchase and they want you know 80 LTV financing right so they need to put $10,000 on especially because they're unexperienced if that project goes ari like they're walking away from $10,000 yes uh, walking away from $10,000 nobody wants to do that right but it's a lot easier to walk away from $10,000 and $40,000 where we're looking at a 200,000 purchase right so it just for us and and the other main driver is yes like Tyler said it's the same amount of work to do a 50,000 loan right, that it yeah. is a 500,000 loan it's so we actually want to do probably more work with it's a 50,000 loan somehow it always yeah. becomes like the the one that we've yeah. got going on that's just a huge headache yeah. but yeah there's a lot more risk associated with lower value properties um that's that's a huge component of why we can't do it Yeah. And that makes sense. Do you guys make everybody put skin in the game? Yes. Like yes. Yeah. Yes. We don't do is, we don't do 100% facts. Yeah. We've, we, found Tyler and I have seen that movie before and we're not going to watch it again. It's a big short. Well, it's funny cuz right now that's taken off, right? In in your guys' space. Do you guys has it been 
hard to compete since because I know right now there's a lot of there's a lot of competitors are going to space sure. right saturated yeah. right now. Yes. Yeah. Everybody and their brothers a lender. Has it been hard to compete in that environment right now? No. No. I mean obviously you guys are growing, but is there yeah, things you've had to do and change to stay uh change? No. No, I think that um you know, as George mentioned, a lot of our business is repeat borrowers and referrals. So there are people that either have work you know, experience of working with us or know someone who's worked with us and and you know, we might not be the highest loan to value that you can get. On um, fix and flip. On fix and flip. Yeah. On rental, yeah, we we are. Yes. But on, on fix and flip sure. on fix and flip, you know, you might be able to borrow a little more from somebody else. For sure. Um but you know, the other part of that is, you know, actually certainty of close and getting to the closing table and having that that loan be there. And what you know, that's something that we take extremely seriously because we never want to leave somebody hanging and and we you know we never have we wouldn't we wouldn't you know we tell somebody up front if that loan isn't going to work whereas i do feel like some of the guys out there that offer 100 percent financing you know there i don't want it could be sometimes it's a little bit of a bait and switch where it's like okay we offer 100 ltv and then you start getting into the process and it's like well actually it doesn't qualify for this reason or that yeah, reason I so i mean we know that they always fact, have a reason we yeah. know that yes. for a fact because we have borrowers that have come to us you know, three weeks away from closing yeah. with a contract three weeks out yeah. saying, I just got screwed by XYZ. Can you help me out? Or like, what, what are the terms? I mean, it happens all more the often time. Than that. Yeah. yeah, all the time it happens. Um, not only 100% financing, but even like 10% down sometimes. There's scenarios where it just doesn't make sense. Just doesn't make sense either because of credit, the borrower, the investor, real estate investor's credit experience or the deal and the numbers around it. But you'll have real estate investors who have quotes away at like saying 10% down and 9% rate. And I'm just like, this is your first deal. You've got a 660 FICO score. Do you really think you're the person who's getting 10% down? They're like, well, that's what they're telling me. I'm like, all right, go for it. And then, yeah, they'll come back. I'm like, hey, can you close this in two weeks? We're like, two weeks? Like, no, we can't. How quickly can you close? Two weeks. I mean, <laughs> we, two weeks on deals that we want to do, not two weeks on rejected deals. From yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd say on, on fix and flip. I mean, honestly, right now it's probably three to four weeks, yeah. and a lot of that is driven by appraisal turn times. Um, you know, we we need on most deals we need a full appraisal. There are certain deals where we can do it with you know what's considered a hybrid appraisal, um, which is basically you know a broker actually take a, a bpo plus an appraiser sits at their desk and reviews it instead of actually it's, visiting the property but but even that has been long i mean it's it's similar to everything you're seeing in every market i mean just markets are so over set, over overloaded yeah, appraisers, appraisers, appraisers are overloaded yeah. but title insur- companies are title, overloaded. Title insurance. Insurance. companies insurance companies oh my god you know um, appraisers everybody's just seeing so much volume that they're so busy Turn times have been extended. Yeah, really. pre-COVID, I think we could have we were closing fix and flip in a week. Yeah, yeah right. We like could literally. Fi- I mean, there was some that we did on a mon- got into Monday and we closed on Friday. Yeah, um, thirty year was like two and a half, three weeks. Uh, let's so, just say on fix and flip, from the day we get the appraisal, we can close in four business days. Now, yeah, yes, yeah. okay, and, yeah. and so, and so it's, it's so when we say, can someone close in three weeks from beginning? process to end no because appraisal is going to take at least three weeks you know? yeah i there's <laughs> so. definitely markets and there's definitely appraisers that we work with especially in somewhere like uh savannah where we were super active we know appraisal companies that if you know if you need to close in like three weeks and the deal makes sense and everything 
works out, we can make it happen yeah. because we have contacts. We have uh, attorneys, title attorneys that we know that do good work here. Um, so there's definitely exceptions to that, you know, three to four weeks. But um, we, you know, it, it's on a case by case basis. When someone has a transaction and it's a refi or a purchase, if they just let us know what day they need to close by, we tell them like yes or no. And if it's a yes, we, you know, we clearly define what the expectations are so we can meet that deadline. Yeah. Okay. Um, that makes sense. What, uh, do you, you guys follow like the overall economic trends real closely or not really? These guys do. Yeah. You guys do? Yeah. What do you think, like, when you're looking at those, what do you think is going on with the housing market? What's, what's this next year going to look like? Do you think it's going to, we're going to slow down at all? you think we're going to keep growing? Keep, keep going? Well, I mean, I personally think that we're, we're, we're going to continue to see appreciation. Um, the velocity and the, the speed of it uh, and the trajectory of it is going to be influenced by general rates, which the expectation is higher. I personally don't think uh, th that the, the Fed is going to raise rates significantly in the next year or two um, at a fast clip um, just because it's the administration Midterms, and yeah and all the you know all the obvious things um so yeah i think this market definitely in the next two to four years still has legs um but even beyond that again like i've seen many cycles since i've been in this business and you know as a lender obviously we want it to be continued to be busy but pullbacks or even value pullbacks are more opportunity for people to have cash that have cash to spend so in a pullback i think we get even more busy so you know it's really just about timing just like anything there's always cycles so do you guys have any fears or projections on what's going on with evergrand right now because they just defaulted right do you think that that'll spill over here and you know that's a really good question i don't I don't. I personally don't think so, but it, it's hard to tell. It's just something that's never happened before. So it's like I don't. Yeah, it's like unprecedented. Can't it's like, really like. Yeah, there's nothing. Well, you can it's point sort of to to like Lehman Brothers. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and I was going to ask you about that because you worked at Lehman. Right? Yeah. Were you there in 08? Yeah. Or yes. when, we when both I, were. In 07? We both were. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Walking out of the building with a box. And really? Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Dang, that's actually really crazy. Yeah. So you, uh, so you know what it's like to go through the the shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we were we were in zero. We were in it. You guys were both there. Yeah, I was. What? I was, was doing running commercial that. mortgages, and I was doing something. Oh, mortgages. at Lehman. Okay, yeah, I didn't I was even put that the together. Okay. Desk at Lehman at the time. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's systemic, right? Um, maybe some. Uh, you know, I, I, I honestly think that the uh, the U.S. housing market's in in pretty good shape. So like, so the 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 same thing that plagues the Chinese real estate market is not indicative of what's going on here. No, 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 I don't think so. Okay. No. Um, I wanted to get into, so what do you guys do every day? Like each one of you, cause we didn't really get into that at all. What's your role? Uh, I'll start. Yeah. Master. So I'm the deal master. Um, I'm the gatekeeper for, for Mofin money to get to Mr. Mofin, the final boss, which is Tyler. Uh, you gotta go through me first. If you get through me, God bless you. Um, no, but I basically, I handle every, every inquiry we get pretty much. Um, and I review it and give feedback and, uh, quote terms and things like that. Um, that's like the main role I play. And then if it gets, if it's something we can do and we can agree on terms, then 
we move it into underwriting. And that's where uh, James takes over. Yeah, so I, I run our underwriting group and um, I, I'm basically the one, like the loan officer at you know bigger firms that uh, a borrower or an investor would be talking to um, in terms of the information we need from them, um, once the appraisal gets back, to, you know, basically setting the loan amount once we get the appraisal. Um, but, you know, even before that point, all the due diligence that it takes for us to um, check off the creditworthiness of a particular deal that's done by me. Um, once that is completed, then we hand it off to the closing process to start the closing process into closing. And that's where, you know, Tyler, Tyler comes in. Yes, yeah, so I usually pick up deals with you know between a few days to a week from when they're scheduled to close and basically do a final review of everything make sure that you know we have everything in the loan file that we need if there's you know a document missing here or there I'll, I'll kind of reach out and get that and then i'll work with the um whoever the settlement agent or title company is that we're closing the loan with to finalize the settlement statement you know get all the loan docs together make sure the borrower has a chance to review those and then and then we close the loan um, and then, but you know, our process doesn't really stop there because as, as we mentioned, we sell all of our loans to institutions. So I, I kind of handle that process, the post-closing capital markets process where we are, um, you know, selling the loan, um, and, you know, kind of managing our pipeline of, of capital. So making sure that, you know, we have the capital, you know, as I mentioned, we have credit lines, making sure we have the capital drawn, um, if we need it to, to fund loans and, you know, making sure our pipeline is, Kind of organized in a way that you know we can fund everything efficiently so you're like do you spend a lot of time networking then with um like people to buy these loans or no they came like through industry you know we don't anymore we did when we started yeah. um yeah. because it is a process yeah. to yeah. get oh, to to get started with somebody i mean you have a whole Huge purchase process. agreement that's you know 60 pages long that has all these you know reps and warranties that we give to these institutions that say mm -hmm. that you know we're producing quality loans essentially that you know there's no fraud involved there's no um you know a lot of different things that you know they they're trusting us to do the due diligence on it but we're also representing to them and you know contractually that that we've done that and um and if we if it turns out we didn't then they could try to force us to buy the loan back um so that's you know that's uh that's that process takes you know a couple months um, to when you start with yeah, yeah to negotiate all that when you start that with somebody agreement. but then once for it's turned investor, on by the way for so. each loan buyer yeah, yeah for each buyer. buyer um but then once that's done then it's all about you know uh trying to trying to just get volume um yes. and and do that with them and, and we also we don't really we don't want to have too many investors in in our loans um because you know we have a, a limited amount that we do and if we had 30 different investors you know, it would one, it would just be too much time to get it started. And two, they would be unhappy with us because we're not producing enough volume for each one of them. Okay. So, so we have, um, you know, we have about four or five that we do most of our business with. And we, we get inbound calls from others that say, Hey, I hear you guys are, you know, getting bigger. Like we're looking to buy loans. Can you sell some to us? And, you know, we'll evaluate it and think about it. But at the same time, you know, we'll tell them we're pretty well set with our, you know, the guys we have and, and we don't want to, you know, waste your time and, and do this if we're not going to be able to get you volume. Is there any kind of like marketplace for, for loans? There's been attempts. Yeah, there's been attempts. There's actually, yeah, there's been attempts and there's actually a, a couple come to mind that they're trying to get that off the ground. Um, 
well, the way it's it's actually ended up working. So there were a couple that um, that started out trying to market it as a crowdfunded platform with retail investors. So like they would come to us as the you know we would be the lenders. We would put loans on the platform, and they would sort of piece those up and take retail investments from people. So if you know you could put five thousand dollars in, you obviously can't buy a loan a whole loan for five thousand dollars, but you could put five thousand in, and you know they diversify it up in in a bunch of different loans, or maybe you don't a piece of a loan. That kind of went away. Um, I think it still exists to some extent, but I don't think there was enough retail demand there. So those same people that sort of set that crowdfunding platform up initially for retail investors, what they ended up doing was using that for institutions. So you have institutions, you know, we sell to institutions that are in the business of buying loans, but there are other institutions out there that don't really want to set up that whole process to deal with a bunch of small originators like us that, you know, that they would have to buy loans through. So they, they'll just, you know, give money to one of those platforms and, you know, that platform sources the loans and sort of sells it to them. Do you think that's the future? Um, I, I, I think it's really difficult to scale that business is what the problem is because like most businesses that have been around forever, the biggest players dominate. And so it's hard for smaller players to get involved and make a dent, but it's also for, harder for smaller players to get involved in the deals or in the volume of the transactions that are profitable. Yeah. Um, so to really crowdfund that. I mean, I think there'll be a marketplace, but like a middle marketplace, you know, I think the biggest players are going to continue to be the biggest players. Um, and it's just it's just too efficient now. The securitization market for big institutions is just too efficient. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, part of it's also it's costly to do a securitization. So you have to be big and you have to do a lot of deals to subsidize the costs. And that profitability is kind of built in where a smaller player or a middle market player to do to try to replicate that business it just be too costly for them. So would it even be possible for them? Yeah, I mean, securitize. Well, not the crowdfunding side, yeah. but I mean, like that. It, it all just comes down to these institutional investors that buy loans or that want to buy loans. They want to get exposure to this market. That I think maybe will be one way to do it. But in general, it's still going to be dominated mostly by the biggest players. So yeah. it's really hard to, you know. I mean, it's a great idea, of course, but you know. How did you guys come up with your criteria? Uh, like, how did you decide like what's going to make somebody the deal master just wrote it? Yeah, right. Uh, just like decided script, kind of like uh, I, the Bible. I, I knew when we started. God, <laughs> Brennan Bush gave you inspiration. Yes. No, it's yeah. Tyler had some. I knew. I knew when when we started. Like as I mentioned, you know, I before I started before we started this, we I was buying loans that looked like this from other originators. So I kind of knew the general idea of you know what was out there in the market and 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 what people had come up with for criteria um but also but then we made some changes to that to kind of match what we thought made sense because you know there are things that we were able to borrow from you know the existing marketplace that we thought made sense and things that didn't like like george mentioned before i mean you have some we wanted this to be a scalable business and we didn't so we 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 always built it in a way that we could lend anywhere and not have to, you know, have boots on the ground and visit the property ourselves because, you know, that's that's a different type of business than, than what we were trying to build. So, um, you know, we have to have, you know, as you mentioned, skin in the game. But that's something that like 100% I've always believed in. You absolutely need to have the borrower have some skin in the game, in my opinion. And it's not, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is the reason that everybody I think thinks of is that, 
that's your first buffer in in terms of losses. Like you know, if if, if you buy a property for a hundred thousand and I ask you to put twenty thousand down, and you're only able to then you know sell the property for eighty thousand, you, you take the loss because you're the you're the equity in the deal and and we're the loan. So you have that buffer of that equity position. But I think the bigger reason to have that twenty thousand in to have that that borrower's down payment is you're less likely to default in the first place. It's not so the way we the terms we use for that are, uh, you know loss frequency and loss severity. You know, you could, there's, those are the ways that you kind of take losses. One is how often do loans default? You know, how many of your loans default at all? And then when they default, how much loss do you take on it? Because you're not gonna take 100% loss, hopefully. You, you know, you take some some portion of loss. I, we've always tried to solve for the frequency more than the severity. If our, our philosophy is if we don't have losses at all, we don't have to worry about you know, if we don't have defaults at all, we don't have to worry about how much the loss is. And the way the biggest deterrent to a borrower defaulting is skin in the game. It's not their credit score. It's not how much money they make. It's not how profitable the deal is. It's do they have skin in the game? That is, and that that's that was shown in two thousand in two thousand eight. I mean, there were subprime mortgages that were made at one hundred LTV to borrowers that had. 700 FICOs and you know they were still sort of considered subprime um, or you know high 600s credit scores. We also used to make loans to people that had 500 credit scores but we'd make them put 30% down and those defaulted less than the ones to the people at 100 LTV with, with a higher credit score because skin in the game is, is the biggest driver. Do you guys have a lot of defaults? No. Nope. Do you remember your first one? Um... We've really well, only had a handful. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I, yeah, I remember. Like I mean, I remember each of them. Way. I remember, I don't know which one was first, but I remember, <laughs> I think we probably only had three or four and, and, um, it, and yeah. I remember each of them. Um, which is pretty good if you're doing 30 a month. Yes. Yeah. I think we've done, I don't know exactly how many loans, over a thousand. And, and I think we've only had a, a few default and mostly to, I think there's, I mean, three different borrowers that, for whatever reason, um, kind of just got a little overextended, I think. And, you know, either too many, the, the biggest, the com the most common thing is too many properties yes. and, and not enough, not enough time and not enough capital and not enough organization to run them all. Um, because I mean, look, that's not, I'd like to pat ourselves on the back and say that we, you know, we we do such a great job. I mean, we that's, I think we, we try to be very credit focused and, and, you know, not make loans that we think are bad loans just because like, we could make a bad loan and still sell it to an institution. They would still probably buy it, but we don't want to do that because, you know, we don't want to have a track record of, of high defaults and, uh, and, you know, being somebody that would just make any loan just because we knew we could sell it down the road. Yeah. We want to make good loans. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's been a focus, but you know, there's also been a rising tide of, of real estate prices across the country. And when home prices are going up, they're generally very low defaults because even if you can't make the payment, you could sell the property. Right. And you guys haven't like, as a company, haven't really been through a downturn. Correct. So yeah. are you guys like, what are you doing to hedge against? I mean, I think it's the criteria and everything we've been talking about. Yeah, yes. it's the criteria, and it's and it's sticking to your guns. It's not. Um, well, the hedge is the skin of the LTV. Yeah, the yeah. hedge is the yeah. LTV. I mean, it's 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 having that buffer so that you know, hopefully, we don't have a 2008 scenario where things drop 30 percent, you know, very quickly, because you know a lot of what precipitated that was just the amount of leverage in the system, and I think that's a big difference 
between then and now is there's not as much there's there's a lot of leverage coming back in the system but there's not as much as there was then um but i think you know the other thing is is what i was starting to say is sticking to your guns and you know just because there are competitors out there that will make a 100 ltv loan we shouldn't do that just because other people are doing it in my opinion we should we should only do it if we think it makes sense and that's not to say we don't want to be competitive. I mean, I think it's always important for any business to keep up with their competitors to some extent. But if somebody's doing something that we don't think makes sense, then we're just not going to start doing that just because, you know, just to get business. You know, we'd right. rather, we'd rather. We've seen that movie. Yeah, we've seen point. it. We've seen that movie. Like you'd rather just have we're less sense. That's exactly what was happening like, in 2006, 2007. Yeah, Every lender out there was doing things like, I mean, we would, at Lehman, we owned subprime, we owned two different subprime mortgage originators and they would call the trading desk every day and be like, we have to do this product because XYZ other lender is doing this. We have to do 100 LTV. We have to do 103 LTV because we have to wrap the closing costs in and pay for those too. And, you know, people made decisions to do it because competitors were doing it. It didn't make any sense. It was just a bad idea. Right. And no deal is better than a bad deal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. Um, before we get out of here, um, questions for you guys. What would what book do you guys recommend to like? What is your guys' favorite books? I guess like business related books. It's kind of weird with like three people, but business related one at one at a time. Mm, business related. Start with James. Uh, you're putting us on the spot, but I think um, uh, Peter Thiel's uh, the book about Peter Thiel. It's like zero to, zero to one. Zero to one. Yeah, it's uh, that was, that was like pretty life changing for me. Um, mostly because I'm not a tech guy and um, until being here, not really super entrepreneurial, but um, just the just the concepts in general. I mean, he's obviously a very uh, successful person. He's a genius, but like um, just the, the way of thinking, not business as like a money machine, but more a concept machine and things like that. Just that was pretty big for me. Tyler, you're up. Uh, mine's Catcher in the Rye. I think Holden Caulfield. His, no, I'm kidding. Um, on business, I mean, I'm not a you know, I'm not a business reader. Uh, I I always love the book Man's Search for Meaning, which is a little corny. I don't know if you've read that. Never. Uh, Victor Frankel. Um, he's a he was a Holocaust survivor and just wrote about like his mentality and perspective while he was going through, you know, surviving in a concentration camp and how how he was able to stay sane and live during that time period but also after and um yeah i think that book is is incredibly inspiring and and shocking and uh i, I actually read it every year at least once um and it just helps form your kind of like perspective on everyday life and being grateful and uh kind of like embracing the struggle and the hardship i mean not comparing it at all to the holocaust but, right yeah, but that. um yeah, just finding finding purpose and and meaning and uh, staying on course for whatever you're trying to achieve in life, um, and if someone could do that while going through that sort of you know ordeal in their life, going through the Holocaust and all that, um, I think you know we can do it in our everyday lives and figure out things and stay motivated and and appreciate everything we have. So that's that's what my book is. Yeah. Yeah, mine's, I mean, I'm like George, I don't really do it. I, I read like a lot of articles. I don't read as, as many books, I don't think, on this stuff. You read a lot but, of children's uh, books. Do you like Audible? Do you read daughter? children's books Eddie. my daughter? Yes, I do, I do. Um, Favorite children's book. Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. Um, Peppa Pig. A lot. Um, but no, I think, 
I would say this is going to sound corny, but if you've only seen the movie The Big Short and haven't actually read the book, I would go out and read the book because I've never. Yeah. I, I, have the, you seen the movie? Yeah, I think everybody's I seen the movie. movie. Yeah, the movie's okay, but I felt like you it was like totally read over. the book. Yeah, like I felt because, like they spent more money on the. Sorry, I'm like no, no, no. Go ahead, go ahead. They spent more money on the cast than they did on like. Yeah, oh, yeah. of course. Well, they also the story. Like, come on, yeah, and you got to make they it. They made it a satire. Flashy and they made it more of a satire and like more flashy than yeah. James, you're saying that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the book is really. Uh, even though I personally hate Michael Lewis, mostly because personally, you know, him? no, well, oh. I mean, my I, uh, quick story. Uh, when we were at Lehman Brothers, the my commercial mortgage group, we would have an annual conference, and every year we would alternate East Coast, West Coast, and invite all our investors and rating agencies, all these people. Um, one year we hired Michael Lewis, and Which it was right after Moneyball, and he gave a speech, and we we had to pay him like a ton of money. And but you know we were Lehman, we were making so much money, it didn't matter. And he took our money, he came, he gave us a speech, he schmoozed with us, and then he left. He signed some books, and then when all the the shit went down, he was like a Wall Street, you know, terrible, like you know, like the big short after the book. He's on press tours, like these idiots. I'm like, you took our money, bro. Like so. Give it back. Um, but you guys probably see that all the time, right? We're like, yeah, Wall Street like iron. Big, it was just yeah. like so. That is weird. I didn't know that story. Oh, yeah. It was, um, so when he started knocking on Wall Street, I'm like, you took money for. And he, I'm sure Lehman wasn't the only firm that hired him to give his speech. Right. So it's like, come on. Yeah, but I think, you know, the book is entertaining and it also just gives a little bit more perspective into the amount of leverage that was in the system and risks that were taken that just didn't make sense back in the day. And I think it it's not. It's not so much like an informational book that's going to teach you a lot and, and, you know, but I think you do sort of, it's entertaining enough that you will, you know, you'll get through it and, and, and you'll kind of get a little bit of perspective, you know, especially as I think there's a lot of sites out there, you know, a site that we, we actually find a lot of borrowers from is, is a site, Bigger Pockets that I'm sure, you know, a lot of people, you know, that listen to the podcast have heard of. And it's a great site. I think there's a lot of information on there, but there's also a lot of bad information on there. Um, there's a lot of information that they pump out about how to, you know, build a real, does this. Yeah, yeah. how to build a real estate empire with no money, with no money, with no money of your own. And that's just not really, you know, that's not realistic. I, I don't think that's really that realistic. I mean, it's not to say that you can't work hard and, and um, you know, build something for nothing because you, you totally can. But this whole idea of, you know, running your entire real estate business and never putting a dollar in yourself is i think a little bit of fool's gold and i don't think that you're going to really get there i mean you don't need to have a ton of money necessarily to start yeah. but you need to be willing to you know to i think maybe you know there's also there's different avenues you can explore in real estate investing i mean wholesaling obviously you know uh, it's a way to do it without yeah. putting a dollar in because you're not you're not acquiring actual real estate you're acquiring the contract and you're flipping it so yeah but definitely i agree bigger pockets awesome website actually probably like the number one source of um borrowers that we have no sort of connection to come to us through bigger pockets but yeah i definitely see that a lot with a lot of bigger pockets users who come to us asking for like no money down or just terms that don't make sense and a lot Um, of times those deals don't make sense like that's kind of like you shouldn't be doing a deal just because it's somebody else's money if it's if it's a bad deal oh yeah and i think that that's you know, something that was learned through the crisis was there were a lot of bad deals being made out there. There were a lot of people investing money in things that just didn't make sense because they felt like, you know, everybody else is doing it. Why wouldn't I do it? And, you know, it's there. So I think that that's something that, you know, a lot of, you know, we deal, we work with a lot of people here in, in Savannah that 
know their markets inside and out and they just don't you know they don't chase bad deals and i think that's that's important as a real estate investor to think about and and also you know for us as a lender is, is don't don't chase bad deals just because you feel like you have to get something done and you know other people are doing it you know you guess kind of stick to your own guns and um and do things that you know you believe in and that you think make sense yep can i give a shout out before we go yeah we're we got a couple questions though. Sure. Oh, okay. I just want to give a shout out to Aaron Miller, who you, who was on your podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. because I think he was the one who initially mentioned uh, this to us and connected us. I just forgot. I wanted to do it when we initially started. But shout out to Aaron Miller, great guy. We're actually Fantastic. staring at his staying at his Airbnb right now. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm going to talk to him about his art um, choices. Is it the one on Broad? No, the one I'm making. Oh damn! I shouldn't have given it away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, my yeah. So, but no, great guy. Because um, like Tyler was mentioning, how we deal with a lot of investors in Spain who really know their market, and that's one guy who who's awesome, knows his market, awesome to deal with. Um, can't speak, you know, highly enough of him. Same thing with Curtis. I don't want Curtis to get jealous. Yeah. Our number one uh, Savannah bar. Shout out to the guy that connected us. Yes, yes, yes. Did you guys listen? To, well, obviously not. Do you guys know Aaron's backstory at all? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we learned, yeah, we learned, yeah, about we learned a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. incredible. Yeah, yeah. incredible. Very incredible. cool. Yeah, awesome. Check out his episode. It's yeah, go really in depth. Definitely it's pretty interesting. Awesome. He has a similar background to y'all. Yeah, finance in yeah. New York. Which CMS. Is, yeah, yeah. I know the guy you work for. Oh, really? Yeah. Was it a big firm? Yeah, big. We're si- he was at City. City. Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. at City. yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure where it was exactly. Yeah, Citibank. Um, then last question. So what advice would you guys give yourself if you could go back like day one, you like, I don't know if that means when you started the business, I guess. Day one here or day, day one, one. Uh, or, for, or maybe like fresh out of college, oh, fresh uh, out you of guys college. can choose. Wait, you, fresh out of college or I mean, mine's the same. Just, you know, um, let her go, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just let her go. <laughs> No, uh, I think it's actually part of like the book that I like the book so much and it connects in the beginning. Mofin was, it was tough. I mean, it was tough, right? Like it, it wasn't easy. It, it definitely wasn't easy. I definitely lost sight at some points where pff, we were just, you know, trying to make it work and you need a lot of money to, to make loans and you need counterparties who believe in you and want to do business with you. And, it was a struggle for, I mean, like there was like a three to six month period where we were just struggling kind of. Um, and I had lost sight of that and I lost motivation at that time. And just kind of like, just questioning, like, what are we doing? Like, is this gonna work? And a lot of stuff, I mean, starting a business, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. Um, we were just fortunate that we connected and, you know, there were times where Tyler like handled the bulk of it and and carried us and then there were times where when i started flourishing and getting a lot of deals in and making it work and then when when james came same thing like you know we just got lucky there's a lot of luck involved in in a successful business i think but it's also maintaining a a positive outlook and and just keeping on and working hard um so i think that my advice would be just like you know keep grinding keep hustling and don't kind of like look at where you're at right now just keep trying to work to where you guys want to you know, like where you want to be because i had lost sight of that yeah um yeah i think it my advice to my what was the question advice to yourself when we started, like, yeah, like, change. When we so started like day moving. one you like i don't like you can make it like you're when you when you're out of college or you like day one when you started my office probably go 
day one when I started Mofin because that's it. Better uh, not be Mofin. something about me though. No, <laughs> not be like, don't do it don't. with this George guy. Yeah. Don't do it with this George don't let guy. George keep ordering the weird like mushroom powders. Oh come on, the weird teas. No, experiment. Yeah, he that. used to get at me about my teas in <laughs> like the tea. office. I'm a uh, mushroom teas, um, like uh, chaga, rishi, just really good stuff. Anti-inflammatory. So much energy from them, and like he used to always be like, "Where are these powders? Like, where are all these tea powders, man? Like, there's get rid of these." There's something about the mushroom fungi, like <laughs> yeah, that's that's why Mofin's at seven million a month right now. <laughs> Mushrooms, <laughs> the mushroom tea, mushroom tea. not psychedelic or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You know, just want to make very sure. Very clear here, I, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let Tyler answer the question. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. We all have to trust me. We all have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> How do the guys on Joe Rogan do it? They you go got, to the bathroom. Oh, they edit it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. I mean, I can edit it. But okay, I mean, you guys could have said something like, "Boy, sooner I'm just like taking like." I'm just breathing uh, yeah. heavily. Like, uh, yeah. 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 All right. I think I think I would still give myself this advice now because I don't do a good job of it. But it's it's to think about um, don't get so caught up in in doing the day to day that you don't think about the bigger picture. And um, you know you gotta think about what's your end goal and what are you trying to do and and you know how are you going to build to that and it gets really difficult especially when you're starting up a business because you have a plan sort of going into it but then you, you know just gotta every, make things happen yeah then you got to do things because you're the planner but you're also the operator and um i think it's it's certainly a, a you know easy and it's it's a thing I struggle with is is kind of taking a step back and thinking about okay you know I got to look at the bigger picture too and and figure out you know how are we going to get from point A to point B not just like grinding all the time I mean it's important to grind because you got to get stuff done but you also got to think about you know the bigger picture and, and try to keep that in focus too yeah I think my I wish it would you know I would I would tell myself or if I could change anything is just to keep an eye out earlier on to uh, work for yourself, to, to want to work for yourself. I think, um, and obviously it's different by industry, but I, I'm not saying like you should just come out of college and say, I'm gonna be an entrepreneur, I'm gonna start my own business. I, you know, you can go into an industry or get a job where you're gonna obviously have to learn the ropes um, and get some experience and, and build up your contact list and whatnot and, and network. But always keep in mind that it's probably better and more profitable and more rewarding to work for yourself than to work for somebody else. So like even if it's in a industry where you have to work for a company, at some point you're gonna be wanting to be the person that's either running the company or very senior at the company where you know, you're know you the man or you're the woman. Um, I think early on, I, I never thought about that. I just said, I'm going to be work, working in this company well, for whatever reason, if it's security or reputation, because it makes me feel good that I'm working at Lehman, whatever it is, instead of being like, no, I'm going to work at Lehman to try to learn as much as I can and start my own hedge fund or start do this or do that. Um, I wish I had known that earlier on in my career. All great pieces of advice for the young men listening and women. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for clarification. Yeah. Um, how can people find the gatekeeper? How do people get to the gate? 
Uh, I find you. Ooh. If you're doing things right, <laughs> I will find you. I promise. You just like show up. And I will show up. <laughs> show up slide, in the house. Just I will like. slide into your DMs. I'll slide DMs, <laughs> uh, Facebook, um, or you could just go to mofinloans.com and uh, visit us there. Uh, send us uh, an inquiry through the website or call us. Actually, my real phone number is on the website, which it shouldn't be, but uh, we haven't gotten around to removing it. Do you want to <laughs> announce it here? Yeah, call me 917-913-7349. Go for it. Call me. Um, I prefer text, but uh, any way you want to get through to me, yeah, just reach out. I mean, the website's the best because it just asks for the inf- like basic information that we would need to quickly review and assess whether or not it's for us. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much the best way. Just go through the website or, or like I just gave you my real phone number uh, or email George at Mofin Loans. Um, yeah, and you can get through. Uh, there, I mean, we do a lot that we didn't cover on on the podcast. So yeah, feel free to check out the website. I mean, thirty year fixed against up to ten units. That's you know that's rare. Thirty year fixed on ten units, mixed use properties as well. So yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime when you guys come back to town. Oh, for and we sure. can go into like some of these other avenues, like the construction stuff. Yeah, construction and and then like a little bit more in the future. But I know you guys gotta. Yes, Don't yes. No, this was up. great. This yeah, was awesome. Thanks yeah. for having us. Yeah, really thanks for coming it. on, guys, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Yeah, thank, All you. Right. thank you. Later. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for listening this week. If uh, you want to show some support, please head on over to mpgpodcast.com. Check out the awesome merch we have on there. Um, and also subscribe and comment wherever you listen to this. Uh, that does a huge things for pushing us up on the algorithm, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, whatever it is, whatever platform you use, go right now, go subscribe, go comment, help push us up, and also please share us on your social media. Um, the more listens we get, the more I can bring, uh, more guests I can bring in, the more value I can bring you guys, so... Thanks so much. It's a total team effort. I appreciate all the support and uh, hope you all have a great week. See you guys next week.